Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Hello, it is Thursday, May 5th. Happy Cinco de Mayo. And today we are going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, the Church of Scientology. I am a Scientologyologist, for lack of a better word. Uh, we, <laughs> I've been fascinated with the Church of Scientology for you know 20 years now. It is this kind of weird fixture in Hollywood where if you go down Hollywood Boulevard, you see the signs, you see the celebrity center, you see, you know, the free psychology tests that you can walk in and take that nobody does. Um, And there was an interesting development this past week, not Tom Cruise doing the Top Gun Maverick premiere, although it's nice to have Tom Cruise back in our lives and he is the patron saint of Scientology, but Elizabeth Moss who is a well-known Scientologist. She did a profile in The New Yorker this past week, uh, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but she talked pretty openly about Scientology. And most actors who are into it do not do that typically. They you know, will just kind of brush it off or they'll say, oh, that's private. I don't talk about that. She kind of engaged with this reporter, Michael Shulman, for The New Yorker. And it was interesting that she chose to even do a New Yorker profile because that magazine has a history of doing very tough stories on Scientology, including the famous Paul Haggis profile where he came out against the church. And that profile ended up being the basis for the Going Clear book. Craig, have you read Going Clear? No, I've seen the documentary many times though. It came out when I was in college and I watched it three times. It's pretty amazing. Are you So you're a Scientology watcher like myself? I am, yeah. I'm fascinated by it. So I... I been so interested in, I, I, we published a bunch of stories about Scientology when I was at Hollywood Reporter. And even before that, I actually went to the Sunday brunch at the Celebrity Center, where, <laughs> which is delicious, by the way. It's delicious. Oh, Good it, food? It, I, I mean, at least 15 years ago, it was delicious. Um, yeah, like 20, 20 bucks, like great food, unlimited mimosas, like amazing. Why did you go? Why I don't understand why you were there. I mean, initially it started as a joke. I you know, thought it was funny and someone told me it was good food and it was, you know, a Sunday before a Dodger game. But I actually, I ended <laughs> up writing about it. I ended up writing about it for Esquire magazine because they thought it was so funny that I went. And it was like a normal, like nice outdoor patio brunch. The only thing that was a little weird is that the staff kind of had these like dead eyes. Like they looked like they were these kind of 19 year old white bread kids off the bus from, you know, Oregon or different well, places. 
They weren't just like a hired wait staff. You think they were Scientologists who were uh, waiting oh, you? I think they were Scientologists. I'm pretty sure that they were Scientologists. And it was so interesting once because, you know, that's like the gateway. They get you to come in for this delicious brunch. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and if you're interested, you could take a psychology test or a personality test or you can come and check out the e-meter. So I checked out the e-meter one day. Um, <laughs> it was it was quite the If you don't know what the e-meter is, it is the Scientology, like, I, I don't know what. It, how would you describe the e meter? Like the the vibe? It's like they're. Um, it's like a lie detector test, kind of about your inner demons. Your dean, exactly. And you 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 put your hands on this big silvery orb thing, and then they hook you up to a machine, and they tell you to relive past trauma in your life. And I did first, I was like, oh, you know, I got in a scooter accident in high school. So I like thought about that and how awful it was. And like the little meter ticked up a little. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they're like, yeah, you know, really go deep, really go into your, your most personal traumas. I'm like, okay. So then I started thinking about like fun things, like, you know, when I was a kid going to Disneyland or like, you know, best days of my life. And all of a sudden the e-meter also went up a little and I was like, oh, so this is total bullshit. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, what's you know what's funny is when I graduated film school, me and my buddy lived in New York, and we were trying to like you know get jobs in film or acting or whatever it was. And there was always this company that looked like it paid really well called Golden Era. Oh, that's a front. That's right. And we we were like, wow, what is this company? There's a lot of commercials and a lot of opportunities. And we learned that that is Scientology's like leading production company. Yeah, they have a network. They actually launched a full TV network, and they do those weird Super Bowl ads that like only appear in certain markets and. Yeah, it's a it's the 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 entire history of Scientology is fascinating and you know I I it's one of those things that I can't believe exists. Like if you watch the Leah Remini show, which I loved and I actually I got to know her a little bit in just moderating some of her Emmy panels. Uh it is one of the greatest reality shows of all time because you're watching this you're like how does this exist? How did this how does this is in plain sight? This is not a secret. These people have been separated from their families. There is this like, you know, legion of seafaring alleged cult members that just like walk among us and they have this giant castle in Hollywood and they have a base in the middle of nowhere in in Hemet and you know, you go to Clearwater, Florida and it's like, you know, Scientologists everywhere. Tom Cruise has a place there. It's it's just this like fascinating subculture and I I could not get enough of it. Do you think it's odd that we all just continue to work with celebrities and people associated with Scientology and just have this implicit acceptance of what's going on, kind of? I think there's a, a different, people think about it differently these days than they once did. The, you know, and I'm not like, do you, be whoever you want to be, be, if you want to be in a weird religion or whatever, you know, more power to you. It's the actions that the Scientology group as an organization takes and some of the abuses that have been alleged about the church uh, that I take issue with. And, you know, I think people within Hollywood do look at Scientology in a different way than they would have even a decade ago. And, you know, and the church has really dwindled over the past decades. I mean, it reached its height in the 90s. And it's kind of, you know, by some estimates, the the membership in the church is down to less than 20,000. Although, the Scientologists themselves dispute that. They say that there are millions of adherents all over the world, a third of which are in the U.S. But I think that the, you know the church has really taken a lot of hits 
about uh, about their their operation and how. And I think the Leah Remedy show was extremely damaging. Uh, but we're going to get into that today, actually, because I asked a former colleague of mine, Seth Abramovich, to come on the show because in the Elizabeth Moss profile, she specifically says that a story that Seth wrote was a lie. And it was a story about um, some of the teachings of the church and how they manifested in the way that she acted at award shows and such, where she was swearing on stage and kind of talking down to people. And this is something called the tone scale that Seth wrote about. And I thought it'd be interesting. This is not the most earth shattering topic uh, in the world, but I think it's really interesting because I love Scientology and I think uh, we should get into it on what this actually means and the Elizabeth Moss profile and how that brought that all out. I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Seth Abramovich. Seth is a senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. He and I worked together for many years, and we got, we went through several Scientology stories that we published when I was there. Um, Elizabeth Moss, who has never really been probed and, and pushed on her Scientology connections, she did this profile in connection with this show, Shining Girls, on Apple. And the reporter, Michael Shulman, really asked her about this kind of disconnect. And it gets to this question that I have always had about Elizabeth Moss, who I think is a fantastic actress and you know peggy olson on mad men is one of my favorite characters of all time she's great in the west wing she's great in top of the lake everything she does handmaid's tale so this is quoting from the story even the casual moss fan has to grapple with cognitive dissonance what's an approachably cool pop culture feminist icon doing in an organization that its defectors among other critics describe as a dangerous cult and that's always been the thing that I can't get around. And we got some some interesting insight into her psychology. What did you learn from this New Yorker profile, someone who's been covering Scientology? I just was, I guess, surprised that she did it, first of all. But she handled it expertly, uh, clearly trained from within Scientology to know how to respond to these questions. She's um, very close with her mother, uh, who you know, brought her into the church as a child. And um, she, I don't know, why, what, what can you say about her? She's talented, but, but complicated. Right. There's a lot of these, these uh, you know, Scientology-approved messaging that comes out in all profiles, but especially prominent in this one, you know, that where she says, it's not really a closed-off religion. It's a place that is very open to, like, welcoming in somebody who wants to learn more about it. And that is classic Scientology messaging. They don't address the substance of the some of the bizarre aspects. You know, they don't talk about Xenu, the alien being. They don't talk about uh, the bridge to total freedom, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that it can cost you to do these courses. They just talk about openness. And, you know, she says, I would just encourage people to find out for themselves. And that's what they want. They want you to go to the website. They want you to watch the videos. They want you to come by the Celebrity Center in Hollywood and check it out. And that is, you know, that that, that is very on message. But what wasn't on message was the fact that this reporter actually went a little further and, you know, delved into some of the aspects of her personality that are very Scientology oriented. And I want to get to that because that gets to your story that you wrote. She swears a lot and she talks kind of down and condescendingly to people often. And that is a trait of Scientology that 
uh, that has come out in a number of people. If you look at Tom Cruise, you know, the, that whole COVID video that came out where he was screaming at the Mission Impossible cast, you know, we've got a responsibility here and we've got, a, you know, thousands of jobs and, you know, almost like they're saving the world by making a Mission Impossible movie. And she's kind of got that similar thing. So go into your story a little bit and what you reported uh, a few years ago. Well, she had just won her first Emmy for The Handmaid's Tale, which is, of course, is the ironic you know, juxtaposition to, to being in Scientology. She addresses that as well. The, the whole fact that, it, you know, it's about this cultish society that, you know, abuses women and keeps them down. And she's in this, you know, arguably, uh, although the church denies it, cultish society. But go ahead. So she said fuck on the way to the, to the podium. Then she called her mother a fucking badass. And it just, I think it took the room a little bit by surprise. Um, because you just, you don't often see people swearing when they accept awards. It's kind of the one moment where everyone gets it together and realizes everyone's watching them. Um, but, but then, uh, backstage in, at the press room, she was asked about, you know, oh, you had a kind of salty speech and she she was like, oh, you know, that you didn't hear the half of it, you know, and she would start swearing more there. And then I believe she posed in her Instagram with her Emmy, with her middle finger up. Somehow that's the weirdest thing to me, even more than the swearing. It's just a weird gesture. And she had done it. Then I looked into it and she had done it again at the Golden Globes, posed (laughs) with her Golden Globe after winning one at her table with her finger, her middle finger up. And then I read a little more and she had given the finger twice. Remember when E had the Manny cam? Sure. For someone whose career is peaking and this hot actress, you know, to give the finger is, is sort of, you know, not the kind of image you want to portray. So, All right, so what does Scientology say about this? Why is she doing this? It, it struck me as weird, but, you know, I didn't have a theory as to why. But then I was talking to this guy, Tiziano Lugli, who is an ex-Scientologist, who knew her quite well. They grew up together in the church and he had memories of them playing piano together as kids um in, in Clearwater at the headquarters and and he was like oh that's you know that's a Scientology tenant that you you need to swear and he explained something about the to- something called the tone scale all right so what is the tone scale the tone scale is like basically a dewey decimal system of sort of stature and personalities of human beings and depending on where you fall on this scale you you get different kinds of communication from the scientologist to help them break through to that person so the hoi polloi you know the regular people in the world uh, or the they're the ones who you need to swear at and then there's different you know as you go different areas so for journalists you get a diff another layer on the tone scale where you have to get aggressive um and, and so he sort of explained this to me and um, and it's kind of started to like make sense. Oh, you know, that she's swearing because she's sort of been indoctrinated to swear. And she might not even be consciously aware of it, but that's the culture of it. And then he started giving me other examples. So, you know, the, the, the leader of Church of Scientology, David Miscavige, you know, often swears in his speeches to get through to people. And then he, he gave me an example of like Tom Cruise, where you know, you gave the example of during the COVID and the, 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 you know, where he was sort of 
screaming and swearing at his at his crew. But um, there was a Rolling Stone interview where he he kept using the F word. Um, so so that's sort of yeah. Uh, he, quoting from that piece, he said, "Some people, well, if they don't like Scientology, well, then fuck you." He and then he rose from the table in the profile. Really, he points an angry finger at the imaginary enemy. Fuck you. And that would sort of explain some of the Tom Cruise other things as well. The the whole Matt Lauer interview where, you know, he said, you're glib, Matt, you're glib. I mean, Matt's a journalist. So he's supposed to, according to the tone scale, be talking down to him, according to this Scientology. That's right. This Scientology expert. Now, the church, of course, denies this. The church says that there's no such teaching in the church. So I want to make that very clear. But... It came up in this profile, and Elizabeth Moss specifically addressed your story. And what did she say about it? She said it really pissed her off and that uh, she was, you know, it was the greatest moment of her life and that this somehow detracted from it and that um, her mother, you know, means everything in the world to her and that, you know, she was, you know, expressing her love and devotion to her mother at that moment. And 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 this was somehow sullying, you know, her her tribute to her mother. I don't know about that, but what's interesting to me about this whole thing is that she's willing to talk about it. So many of the Scientologists these days, they know that the the press around them are is so toxic that they just don't talk about it very much. I think the Leah Remini show really changed the national conversation about Scientology. It went from this like, okay, whatever, do whatever you want thing to, oh, this might be something that a lot of people think is dangerous. Um, Elizabeth Moss doesn't seem to mind that. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, yeah, well, you're saying she's talking about it, but I don't think she really said anything about Scientology in that interview. The only thing she really confirmed is that she's still very much in in the religion. And, you know, but she didn't address any of the things that he specifically asked about. But she opened the door here. She opened the door to a New Yorker profile, and this is what they found. They found that according to Scientology records that have made, been made public, that she took the Hubbard Key to Life course when she was eight years old and she was declared clear, which is in Scientology, you know, the highest state of being uh, when she was 11 years old. And even though she's downplayed her affiliation, she's very much part of a network of Scientologists in Hollywood. Her mother um, and father were, were big Scientologists. Her manager is Giovanni Rabisi's mother, Gay Rabisi who runs kind of a management company that caters to Scientologists. She's part of this, like, I don't know, kind of a second generation of celebrity Scientologists. We're not talking about the John Travolta's, the Kirstie Alley's, those type of people anymore. She's really part of the generation with, like, Erica Christensen and uh, Giovanni Ribisi, I said, and Beck, um, although Beck has since denied that he's pursued Scientology. But the fact that she's opened the door to uh, 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 this kind of a magazine profile looking at her Scientology connections is interesting to me. I mean, you know, they found that she has done this purification rundown, which is a a Scientology kind of self-improvement exercise as recently as a couple years ago. And that's not someone who, you know, grew up in it and is sort of a non-practicing Scientologist. She's very much in it. Yeah, but you know, you're, I'm, you're saying why did she do it? Her argument is is that Scientology is is not a cult. It's it's a very legitimate um, thought system and <laughs> and belief system, and uh, and so there's nothing to hide. 
So mm-hmm. if there's nothing to hide, then you address it, but you address it casually and and you sort of, you know, avoid. The other the other big elephant in the room here, and, you know, I <laughs> sort of loathe to even mention it because I know it's so complicated, is the Will and Jada Smith question because they have denied being Scientologists yet you know there's been a lot of reporting about how they gave money to a Scientology oriented school but then going back to this whole tone scale thing how do you apply that to what happened at the Oscars yeah and from what I understand or at least what I've heard through the grapevine it's that uh, Jada was not into it he was more into it and it wasn't just money they gave to a school they founded the school that was based on psychological precepts and things. So um, I think she was the one who lured him out of it. So does it track that, you know, the half of the couple that was more into the Scientology um, would be the one who's screaming <laughs> and slapping people? Uh, it does. So, yeah, and obviously all of this stuff comes back to L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, who was a really controversial guy. I encourage you to read Going Clear if you have any interest in this stuff. Um, You know, he was in the Navy, and people think that's where some of this swearing stuff may have originated. Uh, Yeah, that's, I spoke to Tony Ortega about that, and, and, uh, you know, Sea Org is the Scientology's marine-based high high priests and whatever <laughs> out on the open seas. And so there's his theory is that uh, the cussing started with the Navy and L. Ron Hubbard's gruff uh, upbringing and, and uh, on the open seas. And then it continued through that. And then he calls it a sacrament. Seth Abramovich, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you and your chronicles of Scientology. Hopefully Elizabeth Moss will not do any more interviews denying your reporting. Uh, we will see you in Hollywood Reporter. I will add, I've been watching, and she hasn't sworn or given the finger at an award show since. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I think she was made aware of a habit that she, I don't think she was psych- like, uh, you know, conscious of. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Or, you know, she doesn't want that connection to be made, and she didn't think people would make it, and now they're making it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Seth, thanks very much. You're welcome. All right, I am back with producer Craig in here for the call sheet, my daily prediction. So, Craig, the tracking came out, the early tracking on Top Gun Maverick this morning. Uh, you want to know what it is? I do. Well, they don't give a number, but they give the awareness and interest levels among various groups, you know, people, men, women, above 25, below 25. And it is on track right now at this point to be similar to Fate of the Furious, Eternals, Spectre, Fast 9, you know, this is a movie that is probably going to break through and get into the upper echelon of blockbusters, which I think for some, for a 36-year-old franchise, a little surprising. Can you explain how they even, like, how do they gauge those numbers, the tracking? Is it surveys? How do they do uh, it? I mean, yeah, they're surveys, and they ask people, are you, do you, first of all, they asked, are you, uh, do you know what this is? So unaided awareness is like... But is, this, is this via email? Are they getting people on social media? How are they doing uh, this? I think it's both. I think it's in person. I think it's calls and, and emails. Um, I actually don't know the specifics of how the tracking surveys are done. But for instance, on Top Gun, the tracking is actually higher than the two previous Mission Impossible releases in both categories of unaided, meaning awareness, like without actually giving you any hints that the movie is coming out. Are you aware that the Top Gun movie is coming out? And first choice, meaning this is your first choice to see this movie when it comes out. Um, So, you know, that's pretty good. That's, you know, obviously the tracking is higher 
for older men than it is for younger women. In fact, it's 10 points higher for older men than it is for younger men and older and younger being 25. So sadly, you fall into the older men category now. Wow. I know. What a milestone for me. You're getting, gray hairs are next. <laughs> uh, also, this movie's been coming out for three years, so I feel like it's it's not hard to explain why people know about it. That's the thing is I, I think it's a little skewed because of you know the materials, they call it, have been in the market for a while. But it's still pretty good because nobody knew whether anyone would give a crap about Top Gun in 2022, considering the first movie came out 36 years ago. So I, I think the, the, they, they, they've done a nice job raising awareness. Tom Cruise at the Super Bowl was a big deal. And some of the materials they put out are, are interesting. So uh, we'll see. This movie's on a good track. But I want to talk more specifically about this weekend. I've got a prediction for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, the Marvel number they're putting out is $175 million. For this weekend, that is laughably low, in my opinion. Every time. Yeah, they. Do, but the real tracking is 200. And if it can get above 200, I think that's a strong showing for this movie. Keep in mind, Spider-Man did like 260, but that's Spider-Man. This is Doctor Strange, not the same. And I'm going to take the over. I'm gonna th I think Marvel is Marvel. People are geared up for summer movies. So I'm going to take over 200 million for this weekend. I just really want one day for there to be a, a major movie coming out, like Pixar's Lightyear or something next month. And you go, yeah, they're predicting 200 million, way too high. No way it gets to that number. I feel like every time with these big movies, you're like, oh, they're lowballing us. No, well, they're, they are lowballing, but I am not even accepting the Disney number. The Disney number is 175. The other studio people that I've talked to said the real number is 200. And even that number, I think, is low. Mm. We will see, though. We can. The great thing about this show is we can check in and whether I'm right or wrong. Will you see this movie with your son? Is he a Marvel guy? Uh, my kid is, but these the these movies are a little too intense for him. Yeah, he's he's more like an Ant Man guy. He's mm. got a he's got to see the, the the more kiddie friendly ones. Guardians of the Galaxy. He was kind of into, but um, no, I don't. I, I'm not, I don't. I don't care. I, I really don't. <laughs> they're all they're all kind of interchangeable. I saw a bunch of footage at CinemaCon, and it's like, oh. They're fighting a giant monster with one eye. Great. Yeah. Also, I don't know if this is relatable to anyone else, but I feel like I'm so far gone, so far lost in Marvel. I've seen like maybe a third of the Marvel movies, but I feel like now I can't jump back in and just go see Doctor Strange because I feel like I don't know anything anymore about what's happened in the storylines. I'd feel lost. Yeah. I actually, I did a story this past week about the Spider-Man movie and how tri China asked Sony to right. censor the Spider-Man movie by deleting the Statue of Liberty in <laughs> the final sequence, which is hilarious. They said no. But when I was writing that story, I had to call my friend, Boris, who is a Marvel expert, and say, hey, like, why was, why did Captain, why was there a Captain America shield on the Statue of Liberty at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home? And it's like this whole explanation from Endgame and, you know, Captain America dies and you've got to, you know, they wanted to honor him by changing the Statue of Liberty. I'm like, okay, stop. I'm just, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> I feel like this is the one part of my life where I feel like I'm 75 years old. I'm like, how do they keep making movies after Endgame? I thought that was the whole thing. Like, how are there right. just more, is there another Thor's coming out? How is that possible? Yeah, it's not great. But, you know, it, it, as long as I have people that I can rely on for that stuff, I know I should know all the details of the Marvel movies. I just don't. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you to Seth Abramovich for coming on to talk about Scientology. Thanks to producer Craig Horlbeck, and thanks to you. We'll see you next week.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.